Protests in Iran have entered their fourth week and show no signs of slowing down despite brutal attempts at a crackdown. The protests were sparked by the death of a 22-year-old Kurdish Iranian woman, Masha Amini, after she was arrested by the so-called morality police for allegedly violating the country's strict Islamic dress code. And now it seems nothing will appease those turning out into the streets short of regime change. So are we witnessing a new revolution in Iran? with women front and centre. Dr Manajay Moradian is an Assistant Professor of Women's Gender and Sexuality Studies at Barnard College and Columbia University. She has a book coming out next month called This Flame Within, Iranian Revolutionaries in the United States. She's been keeping a close eye on events as they've been unfolding in Iran. Dr Moradian, thank you for joining us. Thank you so much for inviting me. It's a pleasure. Can you bring us up to speed with the latest developments in these protests and how they've morphed over the last few weeks? Yes, absolutely. So as you said um, just now, the protests were sparked by the death in police custody of a young Iranian Kurdish woman who was visiting Tehran um, from the Kurdish regions of Iran and was just picked up on the street like so many Iranian women um, have experienced. Um, but to, to actually end up dead a few days later is very unusual. This was not normal. This was absolutely um, an, um, a, a shocking development. And her death crystallized for people um, really decades of grievances against um, the Iranian government. Um, she could, if Iranian women felt that could have been me, that could have been my sister, that could have been my mother, that could have been any of us. And it is unacceptable to live like this um, anymore. So it, it was a breaking point for people. And I think what's incredibly significant is while these protests have been led by women and overwhelmingly younger women, men have been out there in force as well, shoulder to shoulder, supporting women as if the entire country practically has recognized that as long as women are not free and equal citizens, actually nobody can be free and thrive um, in, in any country. So it is a truly unprecedented um, development. And we've also seen these protests spread nationwide. They began in the Kurdish areas and they spread across the country. They've crossed class lines, bringing in middle class and working class folks. They've crossed ethnic and religious lines. Um, they've involved strikes of teachers, students, um, merchants, different sectors of the society. They've involved um, uh, university students as well as high school students. And that's really one of the latest developments is that we've seen um, the extraordinary um, actions of high school girls, um, you know, quite, you know, young teenagers um, taking off their headscarves, shouting down government officials and making themselves absolutely ungovernable. Tell me about some of the challenges, because we know that Iran has a long history of protests and, and women have been actively involved in these. But you say um, this one is quite unique because of the, the breadth that it has expanded to and the sorts of people that are being involved in it. So how do you see this one playing out compared to others? Well, we what we see now is not just the involvement of women, which you're absolutely right. Women have been involved in every previous round of protest, whether we're talking about the student movement that began in the late 1990s or we're talking about um, the so-called green movement, which was in 2009, a massive movement to protest um, 
unfair elections or whether we're talking about um, protests against inflation and price rises um, that have made life extremely difficult for people, especially women who are often the ones, you know, running the household and in charge of everyone's survival. So women have been involved. But this time, it's not just the presence of women. This is actually about women. This is actually about women's right to bodily autonomy. This is about women's right to uh, be free of a patriarchal authoritarian um, state that's trying to regulate and control um, you know, their, their very movement through the world, right? Their own relationships to their bodies. And I think a lot of us in the United States might be able to relate to this right now because we've had the overturning of Roe versus Wade, the Supreme Court decision that um, gave us access to um, free legal, uh, not free, but legal abortion. So in the U.S., we're having this feeling of, oh my goodness, the state wants to control what happens to women's bodies? This is shocking and unacceptable. Well, this is a version of what Iranian women have been living with for 43 years, right? The idea that you can walk down the street and be harassed and arrested because of, uh, you know, what you're wearing, right? Um, so the movement is now actually about the freedom and liberation and equality of women. And we've certainly seen it expand uh, globally with protests in other countries and other cities in support of the Iranian women. Um, while the women's rights are at the heart of this movement, would they have the same level of support with the men joining in if it was not for wider economic and political grievances in Iran? That's an excellent question because I think it would be a mistake to sort of isolate the issue of compulsory hijab from a host of other grievances. In fact, it is just as you say that the, the issue of compulsory hijab has become a kind of lightning rod for all the other grievances, including um, really a, a massively dysfunctional economy um, in which people have really become poorer. Even the middle classes have really lost wealth um, and seen their opportunities and vision of the future really shrivel up. And so there's this overwhelming feeling that society has reached a kind of dead end, that there is no brighter future ahead. And I think that's part of why you see young people, you know, college age and even high school age um, people willing to, quite frankly, risk their lives because they don't see a viable future in the Iran that currently exists. And so there's this sense that it's it's worth risking everything for the possibility of, of, of fundamental change. So yes, this is about the economy. This is about um, censorship. This is about um, the repression of previous movements. This is about the repression of freedom of expression, as well as compulsory hijab. But compulsory hijab is not, it's not like one policy that can be sort of removed and keep the structure intact. It is actually one of the ideological pillars of the Iranian government. It is the form uh, that nationalism in Iran takes. You know, every country has its version of, you know, national mythologies and ideas that bind the nation and that all Always involve ideas about the proper role of women in any society. Well, in Iranian society, since 1979, the idea of hijab, of women wearing, um, you know, Islamic covering, right, this has been a symbol of Iran's independence, a symbol of the revolution, a symbol of the nation, right? And so challenging that is challenging the entire edifice of the regime. Have any cracks started to appear in the government yet? Well, we have had reports um, of 
dissent among the ranks of some security forces. Um, there was a report on Iran Wire um, about a week ago that some security force members were basically saying, "What are we? What are we doing? You know, we're going to the streets and 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 killing young people. Like for what? You know what? Because there is so much government corruption. I mean, the uh, the fact of the matter is that while um, while Western sanctions and internal government mismanagement have immiserated uh, much of the population, the the ruling elite has become extremely wealthy, right? They have massive control over the black market. Um, they've been able to um, look out for themselves. And the, the gap between the way that the that people associated with the ruling elite live and the way the rest of the society lives is absolutely one of the major radicalizing and politicizing um, points, you know. And so there has been some um, questioning and some dissent. There were reports that it was very hard to find anyone willing to actually go out and do these morality policing patrols. Um, you know, for a while, people really didn't want to go do them, um, mostly because they were being confronted by, you know, angry crowds who had really lost their fear, right, and were coming together to try to take the streets back. Um, we also did uh, have a report of a group of clerics who issued a statement saying that to support the Islamic Republic is un-Islamic, right? So some cracks within some of the um, the, the clergy, um, people who teach in the seminaries, right, who are responsible for religious education, there, there was some dissent among the ranks. But that's different than dissent within the actual government. Um, and right now, I think it's still too soon to tell. I think that the um, the dominant strategy that we've actually seen is uh, the unleashing of massive uh, force, massive violence from the state. Um, we've seen military-style invasions of Kurdish cities. Um, we've seen, um, the again, a sort of a brutal assault on the top, one of the top universities, the sort of MIT of Iran, Sharif University in Tehran, was attacked by security forces and many students were injured and others were um, just swept up in mass arrests. Um, and, and now, very disturbingly, um, we've seen arrests of high school girls. Um, just last night, I read reports that um, security forces invaded several girls' schools and just took children away, you know, to prison. So right now, um, it's a it's an incredibly dangerous and precarious time where the regime, I think, is trying to crush this movement with brute force. Um, and I, 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 I hope that they won't succeed. I hope that the movement will find new ways to sustain itself, um, new strategies that can uh, bring more people out. And of course, the role of international solidarity is going to be crucial in that process. Iran's Supreme Leader has condemned the protests as a foreign plot to destabilise Iran and points to separatist movements inside Kurdish areas of Iran. Does that line have any credibility inside or outside of the country? Well, I think inside, uh, people are quite fed up with that. I mean, this is the same propaganda that the Islamic Republic has used against every uh, round of protests uh, for many decades now. This is their standard go-to um, talking point. Um, and, and what they do, right, is they say, um, we are under siege by foreign agents meddling with our national sovereignty. And then in the name of national security, they crack down on internal dissent. Um, so people are quite fed up with this. It doesn't have any credibility. Um, they're quite sick of being pawns in the sort of geopolitical uh, game between um, Iran and the U.S., Iran and the West more broadly. Um, and 
and and quite frankly, the line that that the Kurdish movement is all about separatism and breaking up the integrity of the nation state, that's also fallen flat as well. I mean, as we talked about in the beginning, um, Masa Amini, whose death sparked this current uprising, was Kurdish, you know, and so this has been an opportunity for for Iranians and the rest of the country to rethink um, this government line that the Kurds are a dangerous separatist movement and actually to, to learn more about what's actually been happening in Kurdistan, right, which is that people have been marginalized um, and, and kept from access to economic development. They're not allowed to teach their own language in the schools. And the, the Kurdish movement for autonomy um, has actually not been a movement to break away from Iran and form a separate nation state, but it has been a movement for cultural and political autonomy within Iranian Kurdistan. And so rather than um, falling into the kind of divide and conquer politics that tries to pit the rest of Iran against the Kurds, this is a moment in which because there's so much rejection of the of the regime overall, people are actually rejecting those kinds of ethnic divisions as well. I remember reading an essay in Time magazine by Paul uh, Salem about the Arab Spring, which promised much, but it failed. He said this... I observed then that revolution is not transition. The French Revolution itself descended into violence and resurgent authoritarianism. The revolutions through much of Europe in 1848 flashed a glimmer of democratic hope before being summarily extinguished by the powers that were. It took Europe, at least Western Europe, another century to fulfil the promise of those uprisings. So do you worry that without there being a genuine political opposition in Iran, that these protests protests will go the way of the Arab Spring and others? I do worry. I think that, you know, um, um, Iranian people are taking this kind of bold leap into, um, as the philosopher Walter Benjamin called it, the open air of history, right? We don't know what is going to happen. And yes, 43 years of intense repression has meant that opposition parties were not allowed to develop in Iran, right? Any effort to have independent unions, independent student movements, and any independent institutions um, were were dismantled. Leaders were put in prison, right? We've we've seen the systematic prevention of the development of of any kind of um, real uh, alternatives in terms of parties, um, organizations, and institutions. So you're absolutely right. There is no existing formation that's sort of vying for state power, right, as an alternative that the movement can unite behind. Now, some people have said that the leaderless nature of this movement is one of its great strengths, right? It's decentralized. You can't simply arrest leaders and shut the movement down, which is partly what happened in 2009 when the reformist politicians um, who were not allowed, you know, where the votes weren't properly counted and they were declared to have lost the election, they were put in house arrest where they remain and the movement dissipated. So some people want to say that this decentralized leaderless movement is actually, um, you know, a sort of creative innovation and and a great strength. I think that that may have some strengths, but there are also uh, yes, very concerning weaknesses um, because I think as we know from history, um, the, the the ruling governments rarely sort of exit the stage voluntarily. <laughs> um, so this is a very precarious and dangerous time. We don't know what the future will bring. I'm very concerned because of Iran's um, strategic location, because of its oil, um, because of the importance of the region as a whole, that um, we, you know, Iran is... Um, 
a place where lots of foreign powers have interests, right? And so one of my chief concerns is um, how do we actually give the Iranian people the space and time to develop their alternative institutions, to develop their parties and their political platforms without foreign intervention? That's one concern I have. Um, and, and then the other issue is that for people on the ground in Iran, um, for whom life has become unlivable, for whom submission to the, the dictates and policies of this government um, is, is no longer possible or acceptable. I mean, even at the level of, of the body, you know, where women are just not, not able to go back to submitting in these ways, right? Um, it, you, you know, you can't really tell people, well, you know, you don't really have a good plan here. So you better just live with this bad government because it's better than no government, you know, because we don't know what would happen next. Right. For people on the ground, um, it, it's become a kind of all or nothing situation. And I think that is very dangerous. That is very dangerous. And we don't know what's going to happen. Um, but I think for now, we really have to support their right to try to try to remake their society um, in the way that they want um, it to be. Dr. Manajay Moradian, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. My pleasure. Thank you so much. Manajay is Assistant Professor of Women's Gender and Sexuality Studies at Barnard College and Columbia University, and her new book, This Flame Within, Iranian Revolutionaries in the United States, will be published next month by Duke University Press. <laughs> ABCRN helps you understand the world. Find more of our stories on the ABC Listen app.